Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Come on, let's honor all the veterans today. Truly, we honor you and thank God for you and for your service. Amen. Because of you, we still live in the greatest country in the world. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome once again to Bethesda Church. So glad you're here today. Um, I'm so excited about the new series that we're kicking off today. But before I jump in to this new content, to this new series, uh, some of you all are already putting the pieces to the puzzle together. You know that we are in November, and some of you know what's coming. Uh, over the next few weeks, and uh, I really do belabor over this because I don't want to give the same information year after year, so um, I prioritize studying and and giving this to you in a fresh and relevant way, Uh, but before I get into that, uh, there is one more big announcement that I need to make. Um, As many of you know, we moved in to our new facility in March of 2019. Um, We got here in March of 2019, and one year later, uh, after we moved into this facility, the whole world shut down. Y'all remember that, right? Like, that that really did happen. Uh, We moved into our new facility in March of 19. How many are thankful for the facility God has entrusted to our care? Amen. I'm super thankful. There's not a day or week goes by that I don't come in and, and at some moment throughout the day or the week, I just thank God that he has entrusted such an incredible resource to us to minister to people. I don't take it for granted. Um, and so the announcement is when we moved into our new facility, uh, we had raised a lot of money. We had already given a lot of money. We had already paid for a lot of things, but we took out two mortgages as a church. And if you were here back then, you, you know about that because each time we did that, I had to get up and read this thing that the bank requires me to do. And so some of you may have tuned me out. Some of you that love finances probably did not tune me out. Um, but we, we took out two loans. The first loan was, um, to, let me give you the exact numbers because I don't want to round it up. $2,764,394. And that was for a 20-year loan. That was the first loan. Okay. In order to finish everything and create everything you see in this building, we took out a secondary loan of $854,800. That loan was a 12-year. So if you add the two up, you're, you're talking 3.6, 3.7, something like that is what we owed on the new facility. Um, we are four and a half years later Uh, And I am super pumped because of your faithfulness in tithe and offering and in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that we all went through, that the $854,000 loan has been paid in full. It is gone. Isn't that awesome? It is gone. We don't owe another penny on it. Come on, give Jesus some praise for that. 
Amen. I'm super thankful um, to God's faithfulness, your faithfulness, uh, our board of directors, um, Justin Weichel, Greg Weichel, Greg Clark, Eric Hodge, uh, and, and Mark Kirk um, made a decision back in August. We, we were just in a good place. We always try to operate from six months uh, expenses that are always in the account. That, and when we say that, what we mean by that, if, if we didn't get another penny, not one penny came in, all the staff would get paid, all the bills would be paid, the building, the mortgage would be paid. We, how many know you got to have business practices? And so we, we have operated, you know, in such a way that it gave us the opportunity to make a decision to pay off one of those loans. And the other loan, the other loan, the 2.7 something million dollar loan is down to 2.1. So we've knocked off 600,000 off of it. So God is, God is moving. Uh, and part of when God moves, it's not just, you know, Casting the devil out and healing the sick and seeing the lost saved. How many know there's financial favor that that comes on the people of God? And and so we owe about 2.1 million now from that original 3.6 or 3.7. Um, and here's another thing that I wanted you guys to know: our building, and I forgot to type this in my notes. Our property? No, I didn't. It is here. Our building and our property. Um, is worth 6.8 million and we only owe 2.1 now. That's pretty good, right? Pretty good. So we give God thanks for that. Um, and so that leads me into the next announcement. Y'all like, that's all you're doing today. I know it's what I feel like I came to make announcements. Uh, I do have a word from God and I'm going to get to that. Um, the other announcement is we've made a lot of incredible updates to our church. Uh, obviously, we, we have an amazing facility. Uh, doesn't matter where people come from, what state they come from, uh, whether it be uh, a ministry, uh, a pastor, an evangelist, or just people who relocate and move to this area. They are always blown away by the building. Um, but with that being said, it has been uh, several years since we made any updates to Be Kids. And we are in a uh, time, be kids and be students, where we need to prioritize some finances in that direction. Um, and if you were to go back in the big be kids room, you'll notice the ceiling is a mess. All right, the acoustic ceiling, it's different colors. It, it doesn't match. It's, it's, a, it's a train wreck, the ceiling is. Uh, so we wanna get that fixed. The lighting is also bad. It's dark even when all the lights are turned on. You can't see. And some of y'all like, it's dark in here right now. It's because we have them turned down. We have the ability to light this room up, okay? They do not have the ability to light the room up. So we have been getting some quotes. We're going to continue to do that. But we want to improve the ceiling, fix it. Uh, make it amazing, fix the lighting. We want to get some playground equipment inside that kids can play on, uh, even in the winter months. Um, and so we want to do a lot of upgrade, paint, all kinds of things. It's probably, I'll, I'll have a more uh, definitive number on that, maybe by next week. Uh, but it's looking like to do all the improvements, add the playground with the paint, all that. We're looking at approximately fifty dollars to $60,000 to make the improvements there. Um, here's the thing. Last year, if you guys remember, I kicked off the financial series by challenging you to give above and beyond your normal giving, above and beyond your normal tithe, 
and it, we called it our Christmas offering. We're doing the same thing. It starts today, but instead of all that money going out, which it did, we blessed church planters. We, we helped revitalize churches all year because you guys gave last Christmas in those six or seven weeks, you gave approximately $25,000 that all went to help other ministries. Yeah, give yourselves a hand for that. This year, every penny that comes in between now and December the 24th above the, the, your normal giving, and you can type it in the memo, you can write a note, however you want to do it, you can click the Christmas offering tab in Easy Tithe, how, however you want to do it. Every single penny is going to go towards making our B-Kids environment what it should be. Anybody uh, excited about making ministry available to kids? in a great atmosphere the same way we get to enjoy it every single week. So that begins today. We have about seven Sundays uh, for you to pray about it. I'm not asking for a certain amount. If God speaks to you and says, Pastor, you know what? I'm going to write you a check for 50000 I will not tell you no. Be like, praise the Lord. We're going to get the ceiling and the lighting and the paint and the furniture, everything they need. We're going to get it done now. Uh, so just pray about that. And whatever God puts on your heart, every single penny will go to be kids and be students to make that environment great. Uh, today I'm kicking off a new series entitled Sugar Daddy. That's about what I thought. Um, let's have a little bit of fun with the title here. Everybody just say it out loud. Say Sugar Daddy. All right. When we think of Sugar Daddy, your mind probably goes to one of two places. Um, it, <laughs> it, should I be preaching today? I, maybe I should go back to the announcements. Um, your mind may go to the caramel lollipop. By the way, those are amazing. Just takes a while to chew them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Or your mind goes to... Uh, someone, let's just call it from the older generation, financially supporting someone from the younger generation. Um, and there's a phrase for it. I even looked it up on Wikipedia to make sure I didn't mess it up. Uh, and they had a much nicer definition than the one I had been given. Uh, Y'all can smile. Come on. Uh, it, it, it's funny. Um, but I want to talk about this because when, when it comes to the things of God, um, and before I get to the things of God, when we, when we say the term sugar daddy, we, we may think of the caramel lollipop, we may think of someone who's older, who's financially supporting someone who's younger, but if you're a parent, sometimes you feel, I don't, maybe you don't, but I feel like a sugar daddy. You know, you got all these little people in your house that sleep, make messes, and hold their hand out, right? And, and, and sometimes you just want to stop and ask, what do you bring to the table? I know what I bring to the table. What is it that you bring to the table? And unfortunately, many of us, we treat God the same way. We treat God like he is our sugar daddy. He bears all the responsibility and we bear none. He, he's faithful, but I don't have to be faithful. We have all these things that we want God to do for us, but we don't want to bring anything to the table. I think sometimes we have expectations of God, but very little expectations of ourselves. And we treat God 
like a sugar daddy. And here's what we must understand. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we come into that relationship by faith alone. How many know the only way to get to God is through faith? We understand that. That's where the relationship begins. But in order for it to be an ongoing relationship with anyone, including God, there have to be expectations on you in that relationship. It is not a one-sided relationship. Any relationship that you, you have expectations for them, but you don't have any expectations for you, that is not a relationship. That if it's a true relationship, there is expectation on both parties. And so if I could put a subtitle on today's first installment of Sugar Daddy, I would call this Fighting Drift. Fighting Drift. I'm going to be dealing with, with finances and stewardship tithes, all that stuff. But today I want to encourage you to fight the drift, the drift that can come as it relates to money. I heard this story this week. A guy was telling a story and he was just making an example um, in this story. And the way he told it was, he said, a lot of us, we treat our relationship with God like this. And he said, there was a man who went to the wealthiest neighborhood in the world And as he was in the wealthiest neighborhood in the world, he went to the most expensive house in the most expensive neighborhood, and he knocked on the door. And the owner of the house opened the door, and the man looked at the owner and said, "Um, I'm moving in with you. And the owner did not know the man. The man did not know the owner. And the owner said, I don't know you. And the man said, it's okay, I'm a good person. How many people treat their relationship with God the same way? They don't know him, they don't prioritize him, they don't have a real relationship with him, yet they want to live with him in eternity. If you don't want to serve God now or know God now, why do you want to live with him then? I thought I might get two claps in the house. But a lot of people place no priority on this relationship. But there are principles that we as followers of Christ are to live live by. And God always holds up his end of the bargain, his end of the relationship. But if we want to experience the fullness of that relationship, then we got to be willing to hold up our end of it. And so today, I want you to evaluate your relationship status. Today, are you fully committed? That means you are prioritizing your relationship with Jesus. You know him, you serve him, you obey him. You're doing your best to be in good relationship with God. Or are you a person that you just said a prayer one time, and outside of the prayer, you've done nothing else, or maybe you're here today, and you're simply looking for a sugar daddy. The goal of this series is that we would not be looking for a sugar daddy or just say a prayer, but how many know our goal as a church should be to raise up fully devoted followers of Jesus. That should be the goal. That should be the win. So I want to go to the scripture today. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1. Let me say this before I read it. To serve Jesus means... To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Hebrews 2 and 1 says, We must pay 
the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. This is why I'm talking about fighting drift We can drift in our relationship with God. We can drift in your relationship with your spouse. You can drift uh, with your relationship with money. And and the writer here says, therefore, to what we have heard, we're going to adhere to that. We're going to pay attention to it so that we do not drift away. And initially, when you read this, it may not strike you as groundbreaking, but it is. The writer is revealing the greatest risk to our faith isn't always overt disobedience, but it's a subtle drifting from essential beliefs and practices. As we heard on Friday night through uh, evangelist Nick Walker, we can drift into what the culture calls normal, but I refuse to drift into what the culture calls normal. I actually want to live a biblically normal Christian life, which means I'm full fully devoted to Jesus. I lay hands on sick people. Come on, somebody. We, we, we got to change what we call normal. But if we don't pay attention, we can drift away. And I think the writer of Hebrews is onto something because there's a good chance that maybe at the beginning of 2023, you set out in January and February to have your best year ever spiritually. You were determined to know God and to experience him, but here we are in November and all of us have dealt at some level with distractions in our life, maybe crisis in our life, maybe disappointment or frustration, and you find yourself here Uh, near the end of the year, and you're not where you really want to be. And the question is, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to settle, or are you going to fight the drift? This week, as we look at generosity, if seminaries were to give pastors a list of words to avoid, the word money would be at the top of the list. Messages on money make some people nervous. Messages on money make some people mad, but messages on money please God. Because about 42% of the time in the parables of Jesus, he talked about money. Now, if I do one series a year on the topic of money, that's about 6% of my preaching. That tells me I probably need to step up and do a little more preaching on this. If he spoke about it more than he did prayer, more than he did heaven, more than he did hell, how many know money is a big deal in the kingdom of God? He spent a lot of time dealing with the issue of finances and money. And and so despite our avoidance of this topic, Money is a central theme of scripture because how you handle money, please hear me, how you handle money may be one of the single greatest spiritual decisions of your life. And I want you to get the gravity of this topic because I believe it has the capacity to change your life. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read uh, this text and we're going to preach the rest of the sermon from this text. Luke chapter 5 starting in verse number 1. It says, one day as Jesus was, teach, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, now Simon later called Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Rarely in life do we realize when we are standing in a defining moment. Rarely. Usually it's only years later that we look back and say, that was a defining moment in my life, a defining moment in my journey. But this was one of those moments for Peter. I'm sure when he launched his boat, he never expected that day to be a tipping point for his destiny. That he didn't go fishing that day thinking today will be a life-altering, life-changing day. But it was. You see, this was the moment Jesus met Peter and invited him into a lifestyle and into a life that was beyond his wildest dreams. We all know that Peter would go on to preach powerfully. He would launch churches. He would facilitate miracles. He and the other disciples literally changed the world and saw the impossible. But what's interesting about this is that it wasn't dependent, this life-changing moment, this defining moment, the day Jesus called Peter to follow him wasn't dependent on his temple attendance or how he handled the scriptures or even, watch this, how he handled people, but this was determined and they were launched into their destiny because of how they handled their livelihood. If you read this passage, this is the day God, through Jesus, calls Peter into a life to follow Jesus, and it all hinged on how he handled his livelihood that day. And a lot of us, we don't want to attribute money to being spiritual or making that big of a deal in our life. I have seen many people, though, that were called by God, anointed by God. You knew they had great destiny in them. But because they mishandled money, they never have stepped into the full purpose of what God has called them into. Because Jesus said himself, if you can't handle money correctly, I can't trust you with the weightier things. 
it's real quiet in this church this morning. But I just need y'all to know up front, I say it every year, I love the topic. And it don't make me nervous to preach on this. And the reason being is because the Bible is so clear about it. There's no guessing game. There's no confusion surrounding the topic of finances. It is, it is clearly spelled out. So Jesus lets us know that if we can't handle worldly wealth, that we cannot be trusted with the more important things. Destiny was decided on one question for Peter that, that day, and that was this. Who will captain this ship? Who will captain it? And this is the same question every person who chooses to follow Jesus has to be able to answer when it comes to our livelihood. Because money is not about amounts and money is not about accounts. It's a testament of who is in control in your life. Because ownership is not the question. God owns everything. This means the stuff you think is yours, it's actually God's. If you have a diamond ring, it came from, from coal that God formed. The paper money in your pocket came from one of God's trees. Whether it's the metal formed to construct your car or the wood used to form your house, there isn't anything that didn't come from God's creation. God owns it all. But in his wisdom, he loans it to us to see if we will give him control. It's a question of control. And a lot of people want to be powerful in the kingdom. I want to launch churches. I want to cast devils out. I want to heal the sick. I want to see crusades. But they can't even handle money. And God says, I will never entrust the weightier things to you if you don't get this thing fixed, because God knows that money oftentimes, and more times than not, is the number one competitor to our heart. That a lot of times, Jesus could have said a lot of things when he said, you can't serve this and me. He could have said sex, he could have said your spouse, he could have said your kids, he could have said your job, but he said what? He said, you can't serve money and me. You can't serve both. It is the number one competitor for our heart. And money is a test. And here's a few things I want to show you about money. Money claims to be the solution to fear. That's what money claims, that it is the solution to fear. That money claims it can protect you. Protect you from disease through better health care. Protect you from rejection through designer brands. Protect you from violence by putting you in a better neighborhood. But what doesn't make sense is if money is the solution to fear, then why is worry the emotion most associated with money? When a lot of people talk about money, think about money, the one emotion that shows up is fear. Yet money claims to be the solution to fear. 
Money is helpful, but it cannot protect you. Money cannot dispatch angels. God can. Money cannot alter circumstances. God can. Money cannot control elements. God can. Money cannot secure your eternity. God can. Peace is not found in a dollar amount. It is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. It claims to be the solution to fear. Money also claims to be the solution to or for fulfillment. This is why the core message of every advertisement you listen to, every advertisement you watch, is if you have this, you'll be happy. If you have this, you'll be happy. The truth is you can buy happiness for a short period of time. A short period of time, you can buy it. You've experienced it in a new house, a new gadget, a new outfit, a new car. Come on, there's nothing like that new car smell. Isn't it just amazing? Like, but when does that wear off? When the smell goes away or when the first payments do? Right, it ain't so cool when the first payment arrives. Let's all be honest. It's cool when you drive it off the lot, but the, the, when, when that first payment's due, this ain't so cool. There's other things we would like to do with that money. More money does not give us more happiness because money cannot buy love. It cannot buy forgiveness. It cannot buy grace, joy, or hope. Only God can give those things. Yet money claims to be the solution to fear, it claims to be the solution to fulfillment, but it also claims to ensure the future. I'm sure that is what Peter thought that day. The future of his family, his career, his reputation was based on how many fish he could catch. His entire livelihood was based on how well he did. No fish, no future, right? No fish, no future. But that theory came apart the minute Jesus told him, after he had fished all night and caught nothing, Jesus told him to lower his nets again. And despite it being the wrong time of day, depth of water, and technique, Peter pulled up nets full of fish. And I think this was the moment Peter probably had an epiphany. The sea cannot hold my future if there is one who commands the sea. That there is someone bigger than the sea that the fish swim in. See, money cannot hold your future because it doesn't hold its own. It doesn't hold its own future. Its value is subject based on the market. Its value is, is subject based on global movement. But none of these things affect God. And I just want to encourage some people today that you're not at the mercy of the economy. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to God. You're not subject to market trends. God can open doors that no man can shut. You're not waiting on people. God orders your steps. You're not at a disadvantage. God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. If you believe that God is your provider, can you give him a hand clap of praise if you know that he's faithful? Peter's future was not secured through net worth. Peter's future was secured the day he gave Jesus control. So the thing that God gave us to keep money in check, which also keeps 
our heart in check is this concept that many of you are familiar with because you've been around here a little while. It's a concept called tithing. And tithing, in its simplest definition, is bringing to God the first 10% of your income to your local church every time you get paid or every time you experience increase. It is the first and best 10% of your income. If you ask most people what tithing is, they would say it's giving 10% of your income. That would be their answer. But you can give 10% and still not be tithing. Tithing is not giving money. Tithing is giving God control. And when it comes to tithing, we have to settle the issue. It's not just giving God 10%. And some of us, what we do is we pay every bill and then we make sure we got 10% left over. And if we have 10% left over, we give it to God and we call it a tithe. But that's not tithing by faith. That's not tithe at all. Tithe is the first and best 10%. We're not giving God leftovers. So three things happen when you tithe. Give you three points today. I don't have a poem. When you tithe, God's blessing is released. When you tithe, God's blessing is released. Some people ask, why, why would God create tithing? Why, why would he give us that? And it's not because God needs money. Jesus didn't call Peter out that day because Peter needed fish. Jesus called Peter out that day because Peter needed blessed. How I many know Jesus wasn't worried about the fish? He wasn't worried about how much money Peter was going to make from that catch of fish. But he was concerned that Peter needed to be blessed, but he also needed to learn that in order to be blessed, I've got to prioritize God and make sure he's in control. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with, the first, uh, and, and with the first and best part of all your income. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. So tithing creates a heart that can handle a blessing. It creates a heart that can handle a blessing. There was a guy, I've told this story before, his name was Tom and he had a problem. Tom had a problem. And so he met with his, his pastor over the problem. And he told his pastor, he said, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with this whole tithing thing. And the pastor said, okay, uh, what seems to be the issue? And Tom went on to say, well, when I made $50 a week, I tithed. It was real easy to pay, you know, or bring the $5. And he said, and then, you know, I've, I've advanced and grown in my job, and now I make $500 a week. And, or I made $500 a week, and it was real easy to bring God the first 50 bucks. I had no problem every week doing that, but... You know, Pastor, now I'm making 5000 a week, and I just have a hard time writing a $500 check every single week for a tithe. And, and Tom said, Pastor, will you, will you help me with this issue? And the pastor said, I sure will, and he began to pray. And he said, Lord, I thank you for Tom. Just pray that you would bring his income back down to $500 a week because that's the level that he trusts you. And that's so true for so many people. I've watched people that started out tithing when they didn't make a whole lot, and then they started making a lot of money, and, and th now they struggle to tithe because it's a larger amount. But how many know the tithe is never a larger amount? It's always the same amount. 10% is 10% whether you make a million a week or a dollar a week. 
Everybody's given the same. Even if your tithe is 100,000, your tithe is no more important than the person who, whose tithe is 100 bucks. And it's funny how people that tithe bigger think they can control you. Do I need to talk about that? <laughs> oh my, I don't even know if I should go down that road. I probably shouldn't. It's dream team day. I probably shouldn't. Our financial management is making a spiritual statement about where God ranks. God wants to be first. It's not that he just wants our possessions. He wants to be our priority. And putting God first once is usually not hard, but putting God first every time, sometimes for us, that can be difficult. So God created an exercise called tithing that allow our hearts to reaffirm that he is first every single time we get paid. We're reaffirming what's in our heart. So tithing releases God's blessing. And you may not realize this, but each command from our Heavenly Father has two sides. There is the requirement that is what God instructs us to do, but there is also the reward. The reward is the incentive God gives if, if we follow through on what he's asked us to do. Peter obeyed Jesus' instruction that day, and it released a blessing that not only caused his boat to sink because of the surplus, but partners came along and their boat began to sink because how many know you can't outgive God, and when you give him control, he'll bless you and everybody connected to you if you'll do it his way. They did some studies from the Christian Post put out this, this study, and they did a study on tithers and non-tithers, on, on some of the differences of their lives. Um, and, and what they found is that among tithers, for example, 80% of them have no unpaid credit card bills. 74% don't owe anything on their cars. 48% outright own their home. 28% are completely debt-free. But how many know the blessing goes far beyond money? When God says, test me in the area of money, and he said, I'll pour you out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive, he wasn't just talking about financial blessing. He was talking about blessing every part of your life. Givers who, who began giving in high school had better physical health all the way through late adulthood if they started tithing in high school. Givers report higher relational satisfaction than non-givers. Givers experience a higher quality, watch this, of mental health, and it was found to reduce depression and suicide risk, and giving significantly reduces mortality even when you start at a later age. If for no other reason to tithe, you ought to do tithe, you ought to tithe just because it's going to make every part of your life better. Every part. There is something about testing God in the area of tithing. He said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he talks about this blessing that we don't have room enough to receive, that I'll impact every part of your life. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Pastor, you don't know my finances. Things are tight. You know, I can't afford. I can't afford. It, it cracks me up. I can't afford to tithe. I'm like, if you can't afford to live off 90%, baby, you can't afford to live off 100 either. You should go ahead and prioritize God and start bringing him the first and best 10%. And watch what God will start doing. 
in your finances. Watch God work in the area of your finances. There was this guy from Texas who he attended a church there and his church was doing a three-year capital campaign for a brand new building they were building. And uh, one day he was in his backyard, which was close to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And he, he was there spending some time with God and he was praying. And he asked God that day, he said, God, what do you want me to pledge and give over the next 36 months above my, my normal tithing? What, what are you asking me to do? And he felt an impression from the Lord that he was to give $50,000 extra over the next three years. And he laughed and he said, if I'm going to be able to give that much over a three-year period, it's going to have to appear out of the sky. That was his exact words. But the Lord said to him, I'm not going to drop money out of the sky. Go inside, sit down at your computer, and by faith, put it in your budget and make it happen. He went inside, and as he started working on the budget, he realized that the only way he could make this work to come up with 50000 additional dollars over three years was to cut back extremely. Once again, he asked the Lord if he really wanted him to do it, and the Lord confirmed. And so he did it. Three years, he gave $50,000 over the three years above his tithe. And in that time, God began to abundantly bless his business. He fulfilled the pledge, and that's not the end of the story. He finished um, his commitment on a Sunday. It was the last day of it. He finished the 50000 On Monday morning, a representative from the airport knocked on his door and said, hey, we have conducted a flight study, and we determined that your home is in um, the flight path. And we think that because your home is in the flight path, that it could hurt the value of your house. So today we are giving you a check for $50,000. Some of y'all mad over that. In disbelief, the man saw a plane fly overhead about that time and suddenly the voice of the Lord said to him, you know, I can drop it out of the sky if I want to. Tithing releases God's blessing. Secondly, your relationship with God is deepened. As we step out in faith, God's blessing is released, but the greatest blessing is not more money. It's knowing God more. And I'm bold enough to tell you that if you are not honoring God with money, you don't know him as well as you say you do. I'm going to take it a step further. If that made you mad, it was for you. I meet people sometimes, oh, I pray in tongues six hours a day, and I witnessed everybody. I know. That's all great, great stuff. How's your finance? Do you type? No. You ain't, very, you ain't very spiritual. Go back and pray in your tongues, but you ain't that spiritual. Money is a test. God honors it. There are businessmen in this church that could tell you what God does when we honor him in the area of money. There are people that are not even businessmen. They clock in and clock out and work long hours to provide for their family, but they put God first in the area of finances, and they can tell you the same story, that God does supernatural things when we honor him 
I'm going to preach a message next week on, on financial favor. I believe that our church is getting ready to step into a season of unprecedented financial favor. I want you to notice in our story, our text, Peter's boat was positioned near where Jesus was teaching the crowd. He heard Jesus teaching for hours. But in spite of of hearing the teaching for hours, there is no evidence that he pursued Jesus. But the moment Peter gave Jesus control of his livelihood, he said, here's my boat. You can use it. You can have it. That's the moment that he pursued Jesus and met him. And the Bible says that after he caught all these fish, he replied to Jesus. He said, I am so sorry. And he declared something. He declared him not Savior. He declared him Lord. In other words, I'm going to follow you fully and I'm going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to give you complete control of my life. There's a dimension of God that you and I will never know until you include money. Some of us are struggling with a weak faith and we're disheartened today. Maybe you're, you, have a, you have a struggle to read the Bible, to pray, or to attend church sometimes. Your whole Christian journey, you've been making yourself do things that you feel like, I should want to do it. I shouldn't be making I should want to. And it's frustrating because you attend the same church as other people and it seems like they have better results and they're seeing more of God's blessing and you're sitting there, I'm just striving and I'm just doing this and that and making myself do this stuff when I should want to do it. But Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now watch this. The word heart in this text means the seat of your emotions and passions. The seat That's the heart he's talking. The seat of your emotions and passions. This is saying to us that your money indicates where your passions are. That if you want to find a person's passion, find the money trail. Meaning you'll always struggle to pursue the things of God if your money isn't with God. On the other hand, if your money is with God, you'll never struggle desiring him. Over the years, I've noticed that givers do not drift as fast as non-givers. That there's something about my money being tied to my relationship with God that if I'm invested in, and I began tithing in a very early age, and I've never really been tempted to, to walk away from Jesus. Why? Because my money's in it. Your heart follows the money. Now watch this. I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to help somebody today. This is, this is good news. If your money indicates where your heart is, it can also dictate where you want your heart to go. You want to love the Bible? Give. You want to be more excited about church? Give. You want to increase your passion in worship? Give. You don't have to leave your faith to chance. You can actually direct your heart by directing your treasure. And I believe that tithing, tithing, It's like giving an anchor to our heart, that it settles us. It releases his blessing. It deepens my relationship with God. And number three, I become part of something greater. As the worship team comes, I'm going to land the plane because y'all look like you're in pain. 
you become part of something greater. Apple hosts from time to time a worldwide developers conference. And at this conference for Apple, they share their newest products. Most of us have contributed to Apple. We've helped grow a company from a home garage to a worldwide empire. And there's no doubt that Apple has bettered the world, at least my little world. I have an iPhone and I'm preaching from an iPad. How many has been benefited from Apple? Some of y'all won't even say amen to that. Nope, I benefit Android. You're still benefiting something. Now watch this. As expensive as Apple is, their impact does not compare to the impact of God's church. When my dollars are invested in a product, I help create jobs. But when my dollars are invested in the church, I am strengthening homes and restoring relationships. I am feeding the hungry and I'm housing the homeless. I'm encouraging prisoners and I'm freeing and setting the addicts free. I'm comforting the widows, I'm protecting orphans. And most of all, I'm ensuring that everyone can hear the gospel and decide to follow Jesus and spend eternity with him. Apple has a big impact, but it does not compare to the impact of the local church Church. Come on, somebody, if you believe that. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm going to quit right there. You got to do better than that. Let's give him a real praise if we're going to praise him. Now, let me close with this. Peter probably never thought inviting Jesus on his boat would lead to Jesus inviting him to become a disciple, a church founder, a scripture writer a world changer, but it did. But watch this, it all started when Peter invited Jesus to get involved in his livelihood. And here's what Peter wrote, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were set free from an empty way of life. This way of life was handed down to you by your own people of long ago. You know that you were not bought with things that can pass away like silver or gold. Peter learned on day one, this is not a big deal. Silver and gold, not a big deal. Instead, you were bought with the priceless blood of Christ. According to this, salvation that Jesus provided through the cross isn't just for the forgiveness of sin, but it's also for a fulfilling life. And I think that's significant because today we have people living with an emptiness and a longing for their lives to actually matter. But I want to leave you with this, that when you invest financially into the kingdom of God, and it's not that, listen to me, don't get it twisted. Please don't get it twisted. We don't pay tithe. Nowhere in scripture does it say pay your tithes. We bring them. Because, why? Because God already owns it. And I either bring the tithe or I become a thief. I don't want you to be a thief. I want you to learn how to honor God with the first fruits of all your income and watch God work supernaturally in your life, not just financially, but every aspect of your life. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. In this room today, I'm gonna to challenge you. Number one, I wanna to speak to people that are in this room and you've never fully committed to this aspect of your Christian journey. I wanna remind you 
that if you don't trust God in the area of finances, you do not know Christ as deeply as you think. That this is a part of your discipleship journey. Yeah, read the books, go to the small group, pray in tongues for two hours. I'm for all of those things. But if you're not bringing to God the first and best 10%, you are missing out on a huge part of your personal discipleship journey. And so here's my challenge to those that maybe you've not been faithful in that or maybe you've never done it. My challenge is to give God 90 days. I've challenged people for years with this. 90 days to say, you know what? I'm going to put God first. I'm not just going to pay tithe. I'm going to bring the tithe. Every time I get paid, I'm going to bring the first 10% to God. Give God 90 days. And watch this. If you don't see God moving in any way in your life, you can come and say, Pastor, it didn't work for me. And we'll give you the money back. As Jesus was teaching Peter, it wasn't that Jesus needed the, the fish that day or a blessing that day. He knew Peter needed it and he invited Peter to be a part of that. The second thing I want to speak about is this Christian this this Christmas offering. Over the next 7 weeks, we have a potential to raise the level of ministry for B students and B kids and create environments that looks more like this environment. We want to do that. I'm not I don't want you to give because we've twisted your arm. I truly am asking that you will pray and ask the Holy Spirit what you should give towards that specifically and allow the Holy Spirit to lead that, okay? And whatever comes in, comes in. If all of it comes in and we can pay for it all at once, great. If not, we'll figure it out, all right? No pressure. But I do want you to hear from God. Whatever he tells you to do, that'll be just fine. How many would wave at me and say, today, Pastor, I'm committed to tithing and I'm committed to praying about the Christmas offering? Come on, would you just wave at me if you're, you're committed to tithing and you're committed to pray? about the Christmas offering. Thank you for your hand. I wanna pray over you, Father. We thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for the word that is life-changing, the word that has the ability, God, as it's engrafted, God, that it can literally change our life. It can save our soul. And God, I pray for every person committing for the first time to tithe today. God, I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven over them, that you would show them that when you're involved, God, that maybe they're used to having more month than money, but when you get involved, God, things can begin to change. Blessings can begin arriving from multiple different places, God. And we give you praise in advance, God, for our B Kids department and all those that will be sowing into that over the next seven weeks. And we're praying, God, for not only revival for Bethesda Church, but we're praying for a revival in our kids and students that they would experience the glory of God and experience you like never before. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give Jesus a big hand clap? Listen, I'm going to ask the prayer team and altar workers to come forward. We're going to open up the altars for a time of prayer. And as they're getting in place, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I know I just preached a message on stewardship and finances and all that kind of stuff. But how many of the Holy Spirit can still minister to a heart, regardless of what the topic is we preached on? If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus and you say, Pastor, I want to know him. I want to know this Jesus. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you say, that's me, you're talking, I need to make things right with God. Anyone at all? You say, you're talking to me today. Anyone at all?
worship team is going to come and sing. These altars are open. If you need prayer for anything at all, these altars are open for you and your family. Give Jesus one more praise as the worship team comes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.